0: DesignCast podcast, the podcast for design and STEAM educators.
1: Hello and welcome to DesignCast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Reagan, and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors, and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes A very special thanks to MelScience for sponsorship of DesignCast. MelScience is a subscription service that offers monthly science boxes which combine hands-on experiments with VR and AR technologies to engage kids in studying science. MelScience strives to make serious science accessible, interesting, and cool. Science is about exploration, experiments, discovery, and asking questions, all of which come naturally to all children. The Mel Science approach helps nurture children's natural interest in science by giving them fun, hands-on experiments to engage, serious detailed explanations to learn, VR and AR technologies to dive deeper. If you're anything like me and my family, it's hard to find creative ways to keep kids busy and screen-free while engaging their brains, especially these days. Mel Science does all the upfront work for you so you can spend more quality time tackling projects together and and they won't even know they're learning. I recently received a kit, and it's really exciting all that comes in the box. There are many different activities and experiments in each kit which are enhanced through the integration of VR and AR. With Mel Science, there's something for every kid, including big kids like me. I encourage you to check out this unique service. As an added bonus of being a listener to this podcast, you can get 60% off your first box of any of the subscriptions by using the promo code DESIGNCAST, all one word, or by following the link in the show notes. Act fast as this is an offer that is only available for one month. I can't wait to hear what you think of the service. On this episode of Design Cast, I had the pleasure to sit down with my old friend Paulo Cohen Myers. Paulo and I have been colleagues and friends since two thousand and two. During that twenty-year period, we've both taken a winding path to get to where we are today. Paulo is an incredibly talented individual that has had an amazing career in education. We talk about a variety of topics, but the bulk of our conversation centers around his work as a Baker Space Mastermind. I have no doubt that you will enjoy all he has to share. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with Paulo Cohen Myers. Welcome back to another episode of DesignCast. And today I am just so humble and honored to have my old friend, Paulo cohen Myers with me. Paulo, good evening. How are you today, sir? I'm
0: fine. What's cooking?
1: What's cooking? I hope that's the theme of what we're doing for for this
0: conversation.
1: (laughs) So Paulo, you and I have known each other for many, many years, too many to actually count. But for folks who don't know who you are, could you just sort of introduce yourself and give us, you know, just a summary of how you got to where you are?
0: Okay, so I grew up in Minnesota. And I was always interested in seeing the world, you know, from a very young age, collecting stamps and looking at maps. And so I'm sort of living my dream right now being able to travel as much as I have. When I was much younger, I first went into education, and I went to a interpreter training program, there was a hearing society near where I lived. And so, I was curious about it. I wanted to learn sign language and I had a friend who had taken a class there and told me how much she enjoyed it. So I went there and I just fell in love with the class. The teacher was just wonderful and on the last day of our 10-week session, I found out that, and we all found out, that she was actually hearing. She had pretended to be deaf, and it was a way of getting us to be immersed in a sign language, not not relying on English for explanations, but having to uh, use mime if we didn't understand. So, it was a lot of fun. And then, when I finished that, I thought, I would like to pursue this. So, I got into an interpreter training program. And because there are so few men in the field, I was given a, a free scholarship to go. And so, for... Two years, I had classes about seven hours a day, learning sign language. And once I graduated from that, I took my first job in Cape Cod, and I worked at a middle school and I worked at an elementary school, and it was just a lot of fun doing. Before I got that job, I had seen another job notice which said interpreter wanted, Hebrew knowledge required, Boston area. And so I called and I spoke with the mother of this boy who is deaf, and she told me that he was attending a Jewish day school, an Orthodox Jewish day school in in Boston. She said, though, I'm sorry, but we've just hired an interpreter, but could you please send us your CV just in case we want to contact you in the future? Well, I never did that, and then I took the job on Cape Cod, as I mentioned. And a few months later, I saw the same job notice, but I just assumed it was a reprint, and I I didn't answer it. But then, I'd say in April or so, of that school year, I saw it again and out of curiosity, I decided to call. And it turned out that the interpreter they hired had quit at the last minute. And so they looked around the country for three weeks, trying to find some interpreter who knew both English and Hebrew. And then they flew to Israel and looked there for a couple of weeks and could find no one. So the family had been at this school, it was Maimonides School in Boston and the boy was devastated because he had to go to a school for the deaf. So the mother was very excited to hear from me, and she arranged for me to visit the school, and I sat in and observed a class. And I ended up going there in the fall, and I stayed with this one boy for nine years. Actually, the same group of 45 kids from fourth grade until graduation. And it was just an amazing experience for me. And in addition to doing the interpreting, I also worked as a drama director there where I, I wrote and I directed four musicals that I wrote. And, and then once I left, I thought, you know, I love I love the school setting, I love children. And so I decided to go back to school and I got my teaching certification. And, and then I had teacher training and it was in a very, very difficult school that the state of Rhode Island eventually took over. It was such a failed school. And after that experience, I just decided I don't wanna teach in America. Besides, I still had this hankering to see more of the world. And I got my first job at a school where we were colleagues in Dalian and worked at a language school and just had a wonderful time, not only being at this language school and seeing these beautiful children, but also being in a completely foreign culture. And that was exciting. And it's, it's remained exciting to this day. So I I was there, and after that, I went to Wenzhou. I was there, south of Shanghai ways. And then I went to Korea for a year. I was in central Korea in a town called Jeonju, another language school. And then I got a job in Suzhou. And I called my old buddy, Jason, and I said, Jason, I've got this job in downtown Suzhou and I should say previously Jason had said to me you know Paulo I got this job at Sujo Singapore International School and it's it's a real job it's a real teaching job why don't you apply and so I, I said to him I just don't want to work full-time I've got this great life where I work only 15 hours a week I can leave when I want and then I can travel to India I can go wherever my my heart wants me to go And then we met for breakfast and the campus of the school was just about two blocks away at the time. So he invited me to come over. I met the headmaster of the school and he said, what are you doing in Suzhou? I said, I'm a teacher. He said, are you a real teacher? He said, well, this is your lucky day because we have a group of about 150 Korean students who are coming. I need to hire five more teachers. So... I gave my notice at uh, the language school. And, and then my manager at that school, I said, Chuck, are you a real teacher? And I'm certified. I said, well, this is your lucky day. Your lucky day. <laughs> that an international school that is looking for another teacher. So he went there. And then Anna Palmetshofer also wow. ended up cool. So we emptied out the school.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They had to the sh- shut down after all that, didn't they?
0: <laughs> it was uh, 12 years at SSIS. Yeah. Wonderful years. Yeah. And then I went to Seoul and, you know, because Jason had gone. That's right. (laughs) Jason got a new job in Korea. So I had to follow. I would have been lost without you.
1: I remember all those conversations and those events. And we even shared a shipping container here to to Korea. If you'll remember, we we split one.
0: Oh, that's right. Oh, so that's where all my missing things are. All your stuff is in my house right now. (laughs) Okay. Next time I visit. Oh, man. White school Seoul. And uh, I'm in my fifth year now,
1: man. Can you believe that? I mean, we've been on a journey. I actually think, Paulo, you, you and I, I think working with you, you're one of those people I've worked with probably the most in my entire career. And so we've we've had a long, long history of work, working together. And, you know, you yeah. work with my wife as well. And we have all these common friends. It's unbelievable how far we've come in 20 years, yeah. I guess you could say. But man, that's a, what a what a story. I mean, what an exciting origin story, right? You're kind of like a Marvel superhero at this point, you know, sign language man or whatever. <laughs> whatever. So, but Paulo, you know, I mean, awesome stuff. I love it. It's, it's fantastic. But we're here to talk about your passion, which is cooking and baking and working with kids and that kind of thing. So tell me what you've done at your, your school, at Dwight's school here in Seoul that is really unique.
0: Okay. Well, could I just talk about what led up to that? Yeah. At SSIS, I worked, we had something called CCA on Fridays, last period, co-curricular activity. And so I remember this was years and years and years ago. I worked as an assistant to Lee Preston, who had a cooking class and also Monique Donahue. And then when they left, it became sort of my thing to do. And so I had classes there. And it was wonderful because we had, uh, we had thanks to Gabe Evans, uh, two professional kitchens. And so it really took off. At one point, we had, I think, 50 kids. And we were using both of the kitchens at the same time. But also, I was a grade one teacher for, I think, about 10 years, nine years, and it was actually part of the program. We had literacy a couple of times a week. And I worked with children. And these were kids who would kind of rotate into, into the cooking. And we had a spelling scheme. So it would be the letter of the week. So if the letter of the week was M, I would make something like muffins or marshmallow whoopie pies, something like that. And the kids would come. And we talked about the origins of ingredients. They learned new vocabulary, of course, certain cooking techniques such as kneading and pouring and mixing. And uh, many of the kids, of course, at the school were ESL kids. And then what they had to do was they had to write down uh, the ingredients. They, are, they also had to walk around the room with their, their boards and write down any M words they saw. So it was sort of like a word search within the room, looking at posters, looking at all kinds of things. And it was a lot of fun. And I, had, I also had parents who helped me, and that was great, getting them involved. And then I went to Dwight. And of course, I wanted to carry on that tradition. And so I got permission from the head of the school. This was even during my my first interview at the job fair in Bangkok. I said, this is what, what I what I want to do. And he said, oh, no problem. That's fine. So I had classes within my classroom. I, I have probably the largest classroom in, uh, in Dwight. I was very lucky to have that. And so I had my, I didn't call it baker space then, but just cooking. So we had lots of kids become part of that and did a lot of wonderful recipes. But then what happened was during the summer, they got rid of my bare floor, tile floor, and they put carpeting on. And I was told that I could no longer do cooking there. So I ended up moving to this. There's a small room adjoining the cafeteria at my school. It was a space where the teachers, some teachers, would go to eat. And I converted that into a cooking room, kitchen. And you know, it was a lot of fun because we could also like could use the large kitchen where the uh, you know the cafeteria prepared their food. Kids came in and they were very excited about coming into a, a real kitchen with the big ovens. And we did that. And then the headmaster had this idea of me moving into half of the staff room, and that's where the current site is. And I, I just remember the name Baker Space just popped into my head. You know, it kind of makes sense. We have a makerspace at our school. So Baker's space sounded perfect. And, you know, I set to work, I set to work. He said, you know, this is your space. He says, right now, it's kind of filthy, because teachers are, as a rule, (laughs) filthy. And he, he knew that I would turn into something that would look quite presentable and colorful. And so, so that's what I did. I designed posters for it and you know, decked it all out. And, and, and what I did was, you know, I like to say that, that line from Fields of Dream, build it and they will come. <laughs> that's basically what I did. I built it. I got all of the kitchen equipment myself, baking equipment myself at Daiso. I mean, God, heaven <laughs> on earth. Spatulas and whisks and measuring cups and measuring spoons and bowls and everything, Right. I uh, emptied out Daiso, even the seven-story mm-hmm. one. And so I, you know, I outfitted my Baker Space, and, uh, and my classes began there. And at the same time, it was, it was fun because I was doing my Baker Space classes. This is after school twice a week. But I was also using it with some of my students. There were students, for example, who struggled somewhat in the classroom. And so being in the Baker Space was a wonderful way for them to boost their confidence and work on fine motor skills and just be able to start mm-hmm. something and complete something. And as you know, you, you cook, being a cook <laughs> and being also a baker somewhat, it's, it's like performing magic. Start with a few ingredients and suddenly you've got amazing muffin or, or scone or whatever it is. It's just, it's magical.
1: Yeah. You somewhat answered my question. I was going to ask you kind of how it's incorporated into what you do every day. So you you do have some students who you use it with some classes because I know you work with small groups of students.
0: Yeah. In in my school, I have usually no more than three in my class. At my school, I work in the quest department. And so students, students, it's also for talented and gifted as well. So students come there. And it's either one-on-one or, you know, two kids with one teacher, sometimes small groups. though. it's wonderful. I I didn't think I would like it, but I I really enjoy that. Mm.
1: So is there any talk of making it part of the everyday curriculum? Because, I mean, right now I know you do it a lot for like after school or for activity, like after school activities or events or clubs or things. Is there any talk of having it be part of the curriculum at all during the day?
0: I did make a presentation to the lower school. My idea of a, a program and how the school, how the different teachers could use Baker Space, looking at it as, sort of as the best learning lab possible with opportunities for kids to improve their literacy skills, fine motor skills, as I said already, measuring, following directions, time management. So many skills are involved when you're working like that. I think in my school, and this is an issue that all teachers face. They're very weighed down, I think, with they've got so many things that they have to do, right? Mm-hmm. There's reading benchmarks and there's math and a lot they have to do. And so we're sort of, uh, you know, in the beginning stages of this, I think, until the school can figure out how, mm-hmm. how to make things maybe a little more flexible for teachers. Mm-hmm. I would love to work, for example, with our early years kids, especially today, Today was, you know, as you know, as just yep. before the uh, Lunar New Year and mm-hmm. all the kids wearing hanboks, mm-hmm. all these beautiful children. And, uh, you know, just seeing them with aprons on, their colorful aprons and hats <laughs> would be yeah. even more beautiful. Yeah. But uh, I hope something like that happens. I mean, if mm. I if I could live my dream at, at Dwight school, it would be, I think, if I could teach half-time and then offer mm. uh, my services in the Baker space, the other sure. half. Yeah. Wow, There are teachers, for example, who told me uh, there's one teacher who talked about uh, March 14th, it's going to be Pie Day, right? International Pie Day. So he thought he would take his class to Baker Space and uh, make some pie. Uh, Really, it's just such a wonderful way, I think, of classroom activities more exciting Mm -hmm. when you talk about Mm -hmm. literacy. Reading a book like Stone Soup, right? Mm -hmm. That's to actually make stone soup, where each child is... Is contributing an ingredient towards this this soup. The whole idea of that book was, you know, like bringing people together. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what Cook does. We've had a couple of bake-offs at my school. And for me, there's been nothing more moving than just seeing these kids on their own. They've got a recipe. I'm Mm -hmm. not helping them. And you see how... You know, some kids maybe they're not able to read as well as others, and so but they're helping each other out. They're cooperating. They're making it happen. It's really amazing to see.
1: Paulo, I've known you a long time. You're a really positive guy. Do uh, you enjoy challenges? What have been some of the things that have been a challenge to implement this program for you?
0: Well, I guess in terms of working with the children, I could say we only have about an hour and ten minutes, so. For certain recipes, it's a bit limiting, you know. Some to make things really well, you have to chill. You have to chill the dough sometimes. But I, I don't know. I think it's mostly just time. I wish I had more time, just as I'm sure any teacher just wishes <laughs> he or she had more time to do what they what they hope to do. But no, I think it's I think it's been great. I, I really can't can't complain. Awesome. So what are
1: you yeah. really excited about at the moment, Paulo? Like what is what are you super excited? Have you found any new recipes or any new techniques that you're particularly excited about?
0: Well, I did um, I wanted to do carrot cake muffins, which I did. You see, I always have to come up with new recipes because I've got kids, for example, who are repeaters. They keep mm-hmm. coming <laughs> right? In fact I've got I've got some kids who are doing both Tuesday and Thursday. And I tell them, you know what? We're doing, do you know we're doing the same recipe? They said, yeah, it's okay. It doesn't matter. So I like coming up with new recipes all the time. And I hadn't done carrot cake muffins. And so I went through three different trials with different recipes. And I wasn't happy. It's got to be something when I bite into it, I just say, wow. That's how I want, that's how I want people who eat the food, or especially Mm -hmm. the kids to say wow it's mm-hmm. got to be exciting that because making it is exciting so eating it has to be equally exciting and then i also did something which was a lot of fun where you let's say you make muffins and usually put them in a muffin cup muffin liner but this time what i did was i i found um, some sugar cones and i found a uh, sugar cone rack mm-hmm. with uh, 16 places to insert sugar cones and then what they did was they filled it up with a muffin batter and they baked. And, of course, because of the baking powder and baking soda, it, it rose and you have it almost looks like a, an ice cream cone. <laughs> and then we put the icing on, it sprinkles on, and, yeah, they were in heaven. I they bet. Heaven. <laughs> and then I, my next thing is fidget spinner cookies, okay? Oh. So I, I got the folks in the makerspace – to find a a design for a fidget spinner cookie cutter, okay? And then, so, I was thinking it could either be gingerbread or it could be sort of like a hard ginger snap. Uh, It can't be too heavy, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so they're making me now some fidget spinner cookie cutters, and that's where sort of the time is a problem because Mm -hmm. that, that would require two classes because they first they make the... Fidget spinner, and they make those, you know, the two circles, and then the yeah. rod that yep. those through yep. the hole in the fidget spinner thing. But then you have to use a, an edible glue for that. Right? But <laughs> what they could do is they could they could decorate the fidget spinner. Mm. And if you go online, if you Google it, fidget spinner cookies, you can actually see them, and you see mm. how they work. They actually work, mm. and that would be that would be uh, quite an achievement to do that. Cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, that sounds really cool, man. You're getting me excited. I need to leave here and go do some bacon
0: also do things like we've done gnocchi, pumpkin gnocchi. We do in one class we did, it was a Mexican class. So, we did churros and nachos and quesadillas and guacamole and salsa. They made all of that. And we've done also, oh, we've done Thai spring rolls. Yeah. So, there's a lot we do and pretzels too so it's 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 fun
1: very cool yeah I mean I can imagine it brings quite a lot of joy you you shared a video with me from last summer where the kids are getting ready to get their their goods and their baked goods and they've got all their little containers and I I can remember at our last school when kids would come running down the hall because they'd finally gotten their cupcakes or their cookies or their whatever, and they have them in their little container and they're carefully carrying them, you know, they're really proud. There's a sense of accomplishment that comes from that. And I mean, it's great. And it teaches them so many skills, like you mentioned. I mean, it's obviously about the baking or the cooking, but there's so much more that it's, you know, that it's really teaching about the way you, the world works. Right. And so I think it's great that you're, that you're doing that paulo it's it's so good and so so how many kids are in your group each time like how many can you manage
0: well right now i've got 20 in each class which which is the most i've ever had and so what we've done is usually what happened was we have five tables in the kitchen and i took the fifth table and that's where i what i normally do is i have all the kids, what I do is I yell out chefs, and they all go chefs. This is the way to get their attention. If there's anything pressing I need to say, I just say chefs, and they go chefs. So I have them all assemble around the table, and then I talk about the ingredients, and I demonstrate how to make it, and then they go to their tables, and then they do it. What's happened now because of the numbers is I've got a sixth table outside in the hallway. And that's where I do my demo now, all five tables in the baker's space. And then I've also got two other tables with the dry ingredients and mm. then with the wet ingredients. Okay. Because of course you gotta make things clear for the kids. Like yep. how how do they know how you are actually separating mm. out the ingredients? Mm. And this way also if you've got four to table, you can have two kids who are focused on procuring the dry ingredients. <laughs> and the yep. other two with the wet ingredients. <laughs> Yeah,
1: very yeah. cool. Yeah, and do you have some adult helpers as well, like some parent volunteers, or I've what? How do you, uh, you normally know manage I've got two
0: that? Two other teachers with me. Yeah, great.
1: It's fascinating, Paulo. I mean, I love hearing about it, and I've seen it in action. Yeah. In fact, I don't know if you remember, you we, we came out with our two boys one time, and we made pizza all so, together yeah. and stuff. So, I mean, like it was. I haven't seen your new space. I can't wait to come see it. And how has the COVID measures affected the way you do the baker space?
0: Well, we've had some kids out because occasionally there will be someone who's been in contact mm. with someone who's had COVID. So maybe some kids will be missing. Mm. We use latex gloves. We wear masks, of course. Yeah, And then there was okay. a time when we did cancel one class because they didn't want to mix classes. They were just afraid. Uh, they wanted things ah. to settle down first before they mix classes together from different grades
1: paul this is great man i mean we, i know you you and i both know we can talk all night we have to be conscious of that so if this is just fantastic so paulo i have a question i always ask everyone and that is what is one book everyone should stop right now and read
0: one book it can be about anything oh, yeah. okay i love the book daniel deronda by george Eliot. Daniel right. Devon. In fact, there's a wonderful, I think it was Masterpiece Theater or BBC, a wonderful production of that. This was George Eliot's novel in the 19th century with an amazing story of a young, young English aristocrat who discovers... Um, a Secret About His Identity, About His Family. Oh, okay. I won't, I won't say more than that. Okay, but, that's, that's good. I'm uh,
1: gonna, I have a Goodreads shelf for everybody who's a guest and I recommends a book, so I'll pop that up there so anyone who's listening can take a look and see that on there. So that's awesome, Paulo. Thank you so much. So if somebody wants to find out more about your Baker Space or to follow you or to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that?
0: Well, uh, they could look for me on Facebook. Okay, or if they contact you, I mean, <laughs> they could reach me through you.
1: They could totally reach us. We're we're like inseparable, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, well, we'd love to hear from anybody.
1: Okay, you you may have more people contacting you than you're prepared for, because this is one of those things that lots and lots of schools want to be able to implement, but there's all these different constraints, and so you've been very fortunate to have a supportive, you know leadership who who see the vision and so I think you might have some people contacting you you never know paulo you might get some business here man
0: would really like to express my appreciation to my school mm. for so supportive
1: yeah i mean it does it takes support i know that our last school was very supportive of the program and and it sounds like your current school even looks for ways to make it better which is fantastic that they're that supportive and so that is that is great and so paulo i really appreciate you um, taking the time to chat with me today and it's always good to see you my friend
0: yeah it was great talking with you too
1: I hope you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon.
0: This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more
1: podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com.
0: We'll see you on the next episode.